If you will, look with me in 1 Peter chapter 5. I'd like to speak to us today on the God of all grace. The God of all grace. Let's begin our reading in verse 1. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in, in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. The God of all grace. In my opinion, apart from the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sweetest word to every child of God is this word grace. Grace. What does it mean? Well, most people define it by unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. I heard this acronym once, for grace, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. But our text tells us that God, that is the only true and living God, the God of the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the God of all grace. So looking at grace this morning, I want us to consider five questions. First of all, who needs the grace of God? Well, one thing is sure, and that is that if a person is sinless, if a person has never sinned, they do not need grace. They do not need the grace of God. If a person could be found who is not guilty of any sin against God, then he or she would not need grace. An innocent person could be happy with justice. Sometimes you hear people say that. They say, well, I just want God to give me what I deserve. <laughs> That's justice. That's justice. That's the opposite of grace. If you could find an innocent man, of course, 
We know that you can't because the scripture says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God created man for his glory. Sometimes I've heard people say, well, you're saying that God created a person to send to hell. No, I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. I believe that God created all things for his own glory. I don't think there's any other motive that would be worthy of God other than his own glory in creating all things, all men. No, he created all men for his own glory. But we have sinned, all of us, and we come short of the glory of God. That means we miss the mark. Whatever that mark is, we miss it. And that mark is perfect holiness. That mark is perfect righteousness. As God is righteous, as God is holy. Someone said, how holy must you be to go to heaven? As holy as God is. That's how holy you must be. As holy as he is. Did you know that the Apostle Paul gives us some of his own testimony in Romans chapter 7? And one thing he says there is, I was alive without the law once. I was alive without the law once. I believe what he means there is simply this. There was a time in my life when I thought I had life. I thought I had eternal life. I thought I deserved eternal life. For after all, I was of the stock of Israel. I was a a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee. I was alive once without the law. Now, some people think that he may have been that rich young ruler that came to the Lord and said, what must I do to be saved? I don't believe that he was, but I do believe this. If you had met Saul of Tarsus before he met Christ, he would have confessed, I've done all these things from my youth up. I was alive once without the law. But, he said, when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. What does that mean? He had the law of God. He read the law of God. No doubt he probably could quote much of the law of God. But it was just the letter of the law. But when God, by the Spirit of God, took this word and struck him in the heart... He died. He realized that he was a sinner, that he had broken God's law. You know, James tells us if you break the law in one point, you're guilty of the whole law. Paul then realized that the law which he thought had been ordained to life was to him the instrument of death. The commandment brought death to him. He saw that he was guilty before God. He saw, he then, as he writes in Philippians, he saw that his righteousness, his obedience to the law, his pretended and yes, his trying to keep the law, what was it worth? Dung. That's what he says, isn't it? He said, I counted all but dung, everything. My heritage, the fact that I was an Israelite, the fact I was circumcised the eighth day according to the law, The fact that I have tried or thought I was keeping the law, 
when the commandment came with power. And that's the thing that we desire, isn't it? When we preach the gospel, the scripture says, God hath chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. But it's not just preaching, it's preaching with the power of God, the Holy Spirit. As someone once said, there's been enough preaching to save the whole world. You can look back in history, and I love history, and I love church history. You can read the sermons of some of the men that God greatly used, and there are men today who are preaching the message every bit as well as those men preached, many of the same messages. <laughs> What's the difference? God breathing upon His Word. God blessing His Word. And we live in a day when there seems to be just a drought, just a, a famine of God blessing His Word. And we see one saved here, one or two saved there, but we don't see what we read about in days gone by when hundreds, when men would walk 15 miles, get up early in the morning, I mean 4 o'clock in the morning, and walk to where they could hear the gospel preached. People today, they want the church building to be as close to their house as possible. They don't want any inconvenience. We don't want it to cost us anything. To serve God. We want to be saved, yes, but on our terms, at our convenience. But when God the Holy Spirit strikes a man with the Word of God, as you said and you quoted the scripture, when the Spirit of truth is come, he shall convict or convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That's what I see in my lifetime, that there was a day when we, when I first started preaching, there were some preachers who preached, and it seemed like the Lord blessed their ministry. There was, there was just a spirit of worship in the services and, and the uh, anointing of God upon the Word of God. And that's what we cry for. That's what we look for. But who needs the grace of God? Every sinner needs the grace of God. That's the reason this word is so special to every sinner. When Paul was convinced of sin by the commandment, by the word of God, and that scripture says the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, how does, he, how does the law do that? It shows us our need, doesn't it? It shows us our inability and in that way, it, it causes us to, to look to one outside of ourselves for salvation. And second, the second question is, why is the word of grace so important? Why is it that, that we love this word, grace? It's because the Bible declares that salvation is by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. Now, it's been pointed out many times that salvation can only be, it can only be by grace or by works. I want you to look in Romans chapter 11, just a moment. Now, I know here in this context that the apostle is speaking of the doctrine of election. 
But the same thing is true about salvation. Now, election is not salvation. Election is unto salvation. I hear these people who hate the truth. They say, well, God, God never chose anyone to go to hell. You ever, have you ever heard a preacher say that? No, we've never heard a preacher. We've never said that. So election is unto salvation. Election never kept anyone from being saved. It assures the salvation of those he elected, yes, but election doesn't keep a person from Christ. But here in Romans chapter 11 and verse 5, and the, the subject is election. Even so then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. But now notice, and if by grace, then it is no more works of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Election cannot be by works. That's what is taught by so many false preachers. They make God a respecter of persons. When the Bible says very clearly God is not a respecter of persons, but they have God looking down the ages of time and seeing who would believe, who would trust Him, who would, who would ask, invite Jesus into their hearts, and based on what God foresees, then He elects that person. That's not true at all. Election is by grace. It cannot be by works. It's not because God sees the works of this person and elects that person. No. That would make God a respecter of persons. And the same thing is true about salvation. It, it either has to be all of grace or all of works. It's like oil and water, isn't it? You can't mix the two. They just won't mix. Face the fact. <laughs> That's what we want to tell people. Face the fact. Either you're going to be saved by grace or you're never going to be saved. Because salvation is by grace. And the third th question I would ask, what are we told about God's grace? Well, our text tells us that God is the God of all grace. That's not hard to understand. The author of salvation, the salvation of sinners, is God. We were... And were it not for His grace, there would be no salvation of sinners. Consider these four facts about God's grace. First of all, God's grace is free. It's free. No, no sinner deserves, no sinner can merit God's grace. No sinner deserves God's salvation. If salvation is deserved, then it's justice. It's not grace. It's justice. God's grace is free grace. And number two, God's grace is sovereign grace because nothing outside of God moved him to save sinners. He's not, as I said a minute ago, he's not a respecter of persons. And number three, God's grace is distinguishing grace. 
For God doesn't save all sinners. He does save some, but He doesn't save all. His grace is distinguishing. Some people object to this truth, but listen listen to what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 1, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus, when? Before the world began. And God's grace is victorious grace. It actually gets the job done. It effectually. When God sticks His grace upon a person, it's going to find that person. It's going to capture that person. It's going to conquer that person. And I might add this morning that God's grace is amazing grace, isn't it? It's amazing grace. I watched a documentary one time on the hymn, Amazing Grace. And you know, those of us who know something about grace and know something about John Newton and his life, we can sing that hymn and really appreciate it, can't we? Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. But they sing that hymn at all kind of events today. It's the most popular hymn, they say, in all the world. The most popular English hymn in all the world. Amazing grace. And sometimes, I mean, they have it on a jukebox in a beer joint. <laughs> People punch that number and listen to that, that song and Shed a few tears and get real religious, you know. Many of them are members of churches and, you know, believe that they're on their way to heaven. As sure as heaven as they are standing before you. But their assurance is not based upon truth. It's based upon experience for the most part. I had someone text me just recently and asked me if they could ask me a question, and I said, sure. And the question was something like this. If I had not lived uh, such a, a life, a clean life, this person was in a Christian home, if I had not lived such a clean life, do you think that, that I would have more assurance in my salvation if I, if I had been out in the world, and of course I told the person, don't ever base your assurance on experience. That's wrong. That's, that's, that's the worst thing you can do. I mean, there's all kinds of experiences people have. Religious experiences. No. When you base your salvation on, on an experience, then you're not looking to Christ. You're looking away from Him. And I reminded this, this person who asked me this question, the, the conversion experience of someone who's been out in the world, maybe living a, a rough life, a, a wicked life, and then God saves them and they are converted. Their experience may be more traumatic than a person who has been in a church that's heard the gospel preached and, and the Lord saved them. But I said, don't, 
Don't forget this. God says, their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. And God doesn't remember our sins, but many times we do. We do. I know another person told me one time, I can't forget what God won't remember. Tormented by sin. The guilt of sin. God's grace is amazing. John Newton, I don't think he ever got over the fact that he had been a slave trader. An awful, awful trade, an awful wicked uh, life that he had lived. And that word amazing grace, he never got over that. And I don't think any child of God should ever get over that. Do you? Amazing grace that he would save a sinner like me. The fourth question is, where is God's grace most clearly seen? Where is God's grace most clearly seen? Well, it's seen in many places, but I I would just mention these four. First of all, God's grace is clearly seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us full, John says, full of grace and glory. When you consider consider who he is, this surely is a display of God's amazing grace. The eternal Son of God, he who has always been one with the Father and with God the Holy Spirit. He, he, he veiled his glory when he came into this world. He was still absolutely God, had all power and omniscience. And every attribute of God that he always has had. But he veiled that glory by taking that body into union with his person. Becoming the God-man. The Apostle Paul said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. So I see the grace of God, especially in His incarnation, the eternal Son becoming a man, became, becoming a man that He might be our Redeemer, our kinsman Redeemer, bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. Sometimes people have asked, well, how much do you think those Old Testament believers knew? I believe they knew a whole lot more than we think they did. You look at Job's statement in Job chapter 19 when he said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that word there for Redeemer is that goal, that kinsman Redeemer. Now he knew about that before the law was even given. He knew that he had to have a Redeemer and that Redeemer had to be bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. You say, well, how did he know that? Well, God taught him. That's how God taught him. God teaches us. I know through his word, they didn't have the written word of God. Job didn't, but he knew that. And number two, God's grace is clearly seen at the cross of Jesus Christ. 
You know, I suppose most all of his attributes, the attributes of God, are somehow seen there at the cross. I see God's love in giving his only begotten son to be the propitiation for our sins. I see God's faithfulness in ratifying his covenant of grace with the blood of his own son. I see God's justice that would not relent until it was completely, perfectly satisfied. I see God's holiness there, don't you? When his, his darling son was, was made to be sin, the sins of his people were laid upon him, made to meet upon him. If you are one of his children today, your sin was placed upon him. And God's holiness, we see it there. He would not, he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How, how, how shall he not freely with him give us all things? We especially also see his grace, his unmerited favor there at the cross. God giving his son to die as a substitute for his chosen people. Number three, God's grace is clearly seen in calling and giving his sheep eternal life. If you take the Apostle Paul as an example, you cannot cite one, one thing, one thing that we know from the Word of God that would make you believe that Paul, Saul of Tarsus, that he deserved God's grace. He was making havoc of the church. He was doing his best to cause everyone that professed faith in Christ to blaspheme that holy name. How could you say that he deserved grace? We know he didn't. I was, uh, I had an experience here a while back. I, I had to go for a vaccination. And we were in that place like cattle, you know, and they, they had the had it speeded up. I mean, it was well organized. But anyway, I sat down at this place, this lady. Uh, I don't know what we got to talking about, but I said, the Lord found me. She said, no, you found the Lord. I said, no, he found me. I thought we were going to get in an argument there. <laughs> no, he found me. I said, he wasn't lost. I was the one that was lost. He found me. She said, well, I see what you, what you mean there. But surely we see God's grace in seeking and finding and calling and saving his sheep. The Son of Man, the Scripture says, our Lord said this, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And we know, and I remember when the Lord was dealing with me First, coming to hear the gospel, I heard Brother Rolf Barnard say this. He said, he's going to seek and he's going to find every one of his lost sheep. Well, that gave me some hope. <laughs> Salvation is of the Lord. <laughs> it's not whether I repented rightly. It's not whether I believe enough. No. Salvation... It's His work. Salvation is of the Lord. He's going to seek 
He's going to find every one of his lost sheep. Not one is going to be missing. When, when the toll is made up, and one day he will answer to his father, Father, here am I, and the sheep which thou hast given me. There are not going to be any missing places in heaven, empty mansions, <laughs> nothing like that. And God's grace is clearly seen in calling and giving life. And God's grace is clearly seen in bringing every one of his sheep to glory. You know, the Bible connects this uh, grace and glory. They're connected together. You notice here in our text, if you still have your Bible open there to 1 Peter, uh, verse 10, it says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory, by Christ Jesus. These grace and glory, they're always connected together. In Psalm 84, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. And everyone to whom he shows his grace, everyone to whom he's gracious and saving, he's going to bring to glory. He's going to bring home to be with him forever. I like to think uh, when you visit school, when you've been out of school a long time like I have, uh, sometimes you visit a school and, and you go in the hall there and, and uh, they've got these cases trophy cases, and they've got a trophy for baseball, maybe a trophy for football or something, different years. You look at all those trophies. Did you know heaven is a trophy case? It's God's trophy case. And everyone there is a trophy of God's grace, of God's amazing grace, His sovereign grace. The last thing, the last question, what is your reaction to the truth about God's grace. Let me tell you what I hope is the reaction of all of us. If you're here this morning without Christ, if you don't know Him as your Lord and Savior, my prayer for you is that you will cast yourself upon the grace of God in Christ. Just cast yourself upon the grace of God in Christ. He's gracious. He's the God of all grace. His Son is full of grace and truth. There's a scripture that tells us that God is ready to pardon. Can you imagine that? He's ready to pardon. That verse in John 6 that I believe uh, Kevin mentioned a few minutes ago, it said, where the Lord said, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. It doesn't say no man may come to me, does it? It says no man can come to me. No man has the ability apart from the grace of God. But ask God for that grace. The Lord Jesus said, If you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more... Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Someone said, well, I'm not saved. Well, have you ever asked the Lord to save you? Well, no, but, well, ask Him. <laughs> ask Him. 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I know how shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard. But you've heard. You've heard the gospel. You've heard of who Christ is and why he came. He came on purpose to save sinners. Here's a sinner. Lord, save me. Have mercy on me. Call upon Him. Ask Him. Ask Him. And then to those of us here who know the Lord is our Lord and Savior today, my prayer for us is that we will praise Him more and more. As you said, we'll be thankful. Thank the Lord every day. The Apostle Paul, he said, I, but I am what I am by the grace of God. The grace of God. There was an old preacher in London who lived on a certain road, and I forget his name. John, I think it was John Bradford. But when someone was convicted of a crime and they were taken out to the gallows to be hanged, they went right by his house. There's that man in the in the cart being pulled along out there to the place where they would hang him. John Bradford, every time he saw one, he said, There goes John Bradford, but by the grace of God. Don't ever look down on someone else. Don't ever say, Well, I'd never do that. By the grace of God, you wouldn't. Any sin that any man or woman has ever committed, all of us are capable of committing. I don't care what it is, as awful as it is. God's amazing grace. Aren't you thankful for grace? For Christ and His grace. Amen.